Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. <laughs> Good morning, True North. That intro is not getting any longer. <laughs> You'd figure by now I'd have the timing right. I still wasn't, wasn't ready to go. Um, but uh, good morning. Uh, as Bert said, my name is Bobby, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Um, I believe that God has a word for you this morning if you are willing to hear it. Um, he has definitely spoken to me this week, and I hope he will speak to you um, during this sermon. Now, um, that being said... Um, I don't, I don't want to speak for, for, for you guys in the room, but I probably will wind up speaking for some of you. But I, I'll, I'll speak to myself here and, and just say that, like, I, I am done. I am done with these past two years, right? I am, I'm done with this, this whole pandemic thing. Like, I'm just ready for the whole thing to be over. It's been taxing. It's been mentally, physically exhausting, right? And I'm, not, I'm also not just talking about... Um, you know, the, 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 the fact of the, the disease that has happened and all the regulations we have to follow and, and everything else, what, what's, what's tiring me out the most, I don't know about you, is I'm just tired of having the conversation. I am tired of getting together with friends and family, and at some point it just digresses into this whole discussion around the pandemic or, or where we fall on. Like, I'm just ready for it to be over, right? I'm ready to go going back to arguing and yelling about things other than this, right? Yeah, right? So, so I'm, many of you are, are, are there um, with me, I'm sure. I'm ready to be done with this, right? Just ready for it to be completely over and get back to normal or the new normal or whatever the heck it's going to be, just not this anymore. Um, but I'm also sure that many of you would agree with me to, to have come through this time, to have dealt with this time, and to, you know, one day, right, hopefully come to the, the real end of this thing, to have gone through of that and gone through all this pain and not have learned anything, right, that would be a shame. As the saying goes, right, pain without gain is always a shame. So here's the thing. We, we want to talk today and we want to get into how can we move forward? How can we take the things that we've learned and move forward? Or, or as, as the title of the sermon is this morning, how can we be better for it? How can we be better for this thing that we've come through? How can we be better on the other side of this pandemic with all the circumstances that we've been through? And to do that, to be better for it, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. All right, and one of those questions is, what have we been doing? What have we been doing, or to personalize it, what have you been doing that has almost led to your undoing? Or, or maybe we need to put it this way, right? What should we begin doing that we should have been doing all along? Because it would be tragic. It, it would be completely tragic to come through this and forget the lessons that we've learned and the perspective that we have gained, right? It would be an extreme loss to have gotten nothing out of these past two years. And, you know, so we, we want to ask ourselves, how can we be better for it? And not just better for it in light of this pandemic, right? Sure, that's one big adversity, that a mutual adversity that we're all sharing. But how can we be better for it financially, 
right? Maybe you're in the midst of some financial struggles right now or you've come out of some financial struggles. This is an area that I can completely relate to. Um, there, there was a point of time for about eight years of my life that I struggled through dealing with a horrible mortgage situation that I was in. It permeated like everything. It, it, it affected my mood, my attitude. You know, it was a lot of stress. But, but over that period of time, and coming out the other end of that time, I, I was able to learn and put safeguards into space and, and into, my, into my space and manage things better so I could prevent that from ever happening again, right? Adversity can cause us to make good decisions if we're willing to learn from them. What about when it comes to your relationships? How can you be better for it when it comes to your relationships? This pandemic has caused us to learn a lot about our relationships. We're in, we're in closer proximity with our family and some of our friends, with our spouses, of course. Maybe, maybe this time has, has made you realize that you've neglected some of these relationships, maybe all of these relationships. What about when it comes to faith? How can you be better for it in terms of your faith? Maybe this pandemic for you has caused you to ask a lot of questions. Maybe questions about your faith and questions about God that you have never, ever asked yourself before. Or maybe questions you're asking for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time. So, now you know this, right? Simply wanting to be better for something, simply intending to be better for something, well, that means that, that things may not change whatsoever because simply intending and wanting and wishing and hoping, that doesn't affect any real change. In order for there to be real change, in light of the circumstances that we're going through, we have to engage with the question. We have to actively engage. And each of us, you and I, we have a power that is inside of us that has been given to us when it comes to being better for it. And just read this statement for you. This power, it is that innate ability that empowers you to be better for anything that has come your way or will come your way in the future. So we have no control. No control of what life throws at us, right? We have no control over our circumstances. Two years ago, the term social distancing, it didn't even exist. It didn't mean much to anybody, right? And for that matter, it's like we have this whole new vocabulary that we've all become familiar with, right? PPE, N95, flatten the curve, mRNA. I mean, some of us have taken the time and we have unofficial degrees in biochemistry because we've researched this thing to death, right? Two years ago, Corona was just a decent beer. That's all it meant. We've changed the context, and it's funny, and, I, and I, I, you know, I said that in the last sermon, and my son was sitting, he's, he's, uh, he's 11 years old, he was sitting in the service, and he comes up to me, he's like, Dad, you know, one t I didn't know Corona was, was a beer. One time we found a bottle cap in the playground that said Corona, we all started running away from it and chasing each other with it. I'm like, that's, the, like, look at, look at what this has done, right? It's changed the context of words, it's changed the meaning of words, it's, it, it's had uh, an impact that wasn't intended. So much has changed. So much has changed. And we didn't choose this. We didn't choose this pandemic. We didn't choose to exist during this point in history, but we do. The pandemic chose us. We didn't choose it, but it left us with choices. And as we're going to discover this morning, the power, this power that you have, 
And this power, when we talk about it, 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 it's going to remind some of you of your own history. This power that's going to enable you to turn bad things into good things, wrong things into right things, and it's going to enable you to even thwart the evil intentions of evil people. It can change the course of your life. But this power, this power that you have, it is easy to miss, especially during times of crisis. Because during times of crisis, okay, if you're not ca- careful, right, you can wind up becoming a victim. You can wind up becoming a victim of your circumstances. But if you engage with this power, you will be better for it in every single area of your life. And at this point, you're like, okay, Bobby, what is the power? Let's stop talking about it. What is this power that we have? And it's simple. It's oh so simple. The power that you have, okay, is your ability to respond, your respond ability. The way in which you can choose to respond to the circumstances that you have been placed in, rather than reacting, rather than having your response dictated to you because that's what's been modeled for you by people around you, by your friends, by your family, by society, rather than have it dictated to you because that's just what people do in these situations, that's how they react. Simply reacting to things, reacting to circumstances, well, it causes us to become a reflection of the things we despise. Reacting to things causes us to become a reflection of people we do not respect. And this is the worst part. The worst part of simply reacting to things causes you to surrender all the power you have, relinquish your destiny, and relinquish your your, your legacy. However, a right response, a thoughtful response, and if you're a Christian, a faith-filled response to your circumstances has the power to redeem pain and suffering. And as we're going to see in the scripture today, your power to respond can reverse the course of a life. It can reverse the course of your life. Your power to respond is the why. Your ability to respond is the why. It's why you can be better for it. It's why you can be better for anything that you're going through. Now, I know, I know, I know. It's a big promise. Big, big promise. And if we're not careful, we can miss it. We can miss it because this response, this this course-changing response, this response that has the ability to change the natural course of things, it is not natural at all. It is an unnatural response response. It is not intuitive. It's not something that is going to come easily and naturally for you. But this catalytic response, the, the response that has the power to turn things around, as we're going to see today, can turn things around in a family or even a nation. But it's not intuitive. But also, this is the life. This is the life as Christians that we've been invited into. We've been invited into this life where we get to choose our responses to our circumstances rather than react. Think about this for a second. The history of our faith in the scripture is filled with men and women who faced insane amounts of difficulty and responded in the most unnatural, unconventional, and unexpected ways because they knew that God was with them. And at the center of this faith, 
At the very center of our faith is Jesus, right? Jesus, who, by the way, surrendered to his enemies, chose not to defend himself at his own trial, and chose not to save himself, and as a result, he saved others. He saved you, and he saved me. The whole point being here, never, ever, ever underestimate the power of a measured response, of a measured, thoughtful, faithful response to adversity in your life. Now, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about someone in Scripture who modeled this in an unbelievable way. In fact, he modeled this for us for, for a period of 20 years. 20 years, he modeled this faithful response to his circumstances. And you're going to see at the end of the story, we're going to start at the end of the story. We're going to begin at the end. We're just going to Tarantino this whole thing where I'm going to read you the end of the story. And here's, I, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to do me a big, big favor here. When I start to talk about this story, many of you are going to know. You're going to know what the story is. But I need you not to mentally and emotionally jump to the end of that story. I need you to stay with me in the point of the story where we're at. Because as often happens, if we're watching a movie that we've seen before, like mentally we go to the end of the movie, we know what happens, and, and we can miss the whole point of the story, which is actually in, in the middle, and it's, it's what the character's going through, not where they wind up. Okay, and I know that's going to be hard because I'm, I'm going to tell you the end, <laughs> right? And I'm, gonna, I'm asking you not to think about that end, but we need to start there, okay? So this is how the story ends. The story ends with the main character making this statement. You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. And if you're remembering this story, or even if, if you don't remember, you're going to see that the power brokers in this story... The ones who held all the cards, the ones who held all the power in their hands, okay, their intentions were evil. They had evil intentions. And as you can, you'll recall, and maybe you can relate to this, they created circumstances that turned victims into perpetrators. They created an environment that caused the guilty to take on the characteristics, I mean the innocent to take on the characteristics of the guilty, but not in the end. The main character says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God's intentions became a reality through one person's unimaginable, unimaginable circumstances and their responses to those circumstances. Responses that, in taken of themselves, one at a time, on any individual account, really seem to have no effect at all. But taken together, all of these responses over a course of 20 years were crucial to where our faith is at today, in the history of our faith. So, let's begin with the backstory of one of the greatest stories ever told. About 2000 BC, God decides he's going to wade into the mess. He's going to wade into the disaster of this sinful world, and he's going to intervene. And he goes to a man named Abram, who later you would know becomes Abraham, right? And he says to Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know, everything you know. I want you to go to this far land. I'm going to separate you from everything you've known, but I'm going to take you, and I'm going to bless you, okay? 
Many people are going to, there's a great nations are going to come out of you. And through one of those nations, I'm going to bless the entire world. So Abraham has a son, and he names him Isaac. And then Isaac has a son, and he names him Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, each of which would become one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. But this whole thing, this whole enterprise would dangle by the thread, dangle by a thread due to the responses of one, one of Jacob's sons. And that son, his name was Joseph. Now, Joseph, if you recall the story, okay, he was Jacob's favorite son from his favorite wife. And that's a whole different thing, right? We don't have to get to that. But, but, but the thing is, he was, he was Jacob's favorite son. And his 11 other brothers knew this. And I know some of you out there are like, ah, you know, I have a couple kids and I love them all the same. And I have three kids. I really don't have a favorite. But I mean, he's got, he, he's got 12 boys, right? 12 kids. Once you get like 11, 12, 13, you're going to have favorites, right? I mean, some of those kids are going to be jerks. It's just, it's going to turn out that way. It has to, right? You can't like them all. I don't see how that's possible. So, as I said, Joseph is the favorite, right? And his brothers realize this. And, and Jacob, Jacob doesn't do Joseph any favors because oftentimes he protects Joseph from his older brothers and the rest of his brothers. And even worse, because he loves Joseph so much and because he trusts him so much, he sends him out to the fields to check on his brothers from time to time. Right? His brothers are out tending sheep, and he, he sends Joseph out there. Oh, go see what your brothers are doing. And then Joseph, being Joseph and being honorable, he comes back, and he gives the report to his father. And oftentimes, it wasn't a favorable report. His brothers weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. All right? and, and on one particular occasion, Joseph is going to check on his brothers. And he's, off in the, he's miles in the distance, right? And his brothers, they're working in the fields, they're tending the sheep, and they see him coming on the horizon. They see him. He's miles out. And, and they're just at that point, they're just like, oh, right, this guy, this guy again, right? Everyone has that guy, right? You have someone in your life you see coming, you're like, oh, this, this, I got to deal with this again. All right, all right, God, give me grace, please, right? So they see him coming, and they're, they're not so graceful about it. They've had it, right? They're done. They're fed up. They've had it. And they start to decide, what are we going to do when he gets here? We're done with this, done with this guy, done with this brother of ours who keeps ratting us out. So when he gets there and when he shows up, what they do is they strip him of his clothes and they fire him down into a well. And as he's sitting in that well, they're deciding, okay, what do we do with him now? What are we going to do with him? Do we just leave him here, let him starve to death, right? See what happens. Do we kill him ourselves? Like, what do we do? We, we have to get rid of this guy. What are we going to do with this dude? And this is where our scripture picks up this morning in Genesis 37, uh, verses 26 through 27. And I will apologize, um, my version here is a little different from what you're going to see on the screen, but you guys can figure it out. It's pretty much the same thing. Um, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So there's like a thread. There's like a little thread of mercy there, right? It's like, all right, let's, you know, let's not kill him. Let's profit off him, right? Let's, let's sell him to a bunch of slave traders. And I don't know if that's better or worse, but, but they're like, okay, let's not, let's not kill the guy. He's our brother. And then you know how the story goes, right? Joseph gets sold into slavery, and his brothers go back to Jacob, and they say, they lie to him, and they say that Jacob has been killed. 
A wild animal tore him apart, and he's no more, and they break their father's heart. And the story continues in Genesis 39, 1 and 2. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now here's where we have to, we have to pause for a second. We have to pause because you need to realize that at this point, after he's sold into slavery, nobody's looking for Joseph. Nobody is looking for him. Like, this is ancient times. Like, there's no internet, there's no cameras, there's no Facebook, there's no, like, find my iPhone. Like, you know, his dad's not like, where is this kid? Like, is he in the woods again? Like, where is this kid? What's he doing? Right? There, there's no one, no one is looking for him. As far as the world concerned, he is gone. And what's worse is nobody is looking out for Joseph. No one's looking out for him. And maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel just like Joseph. Maybe you're in a situation where you're like, you know what? No one's looking for me. Nobody's looking out for me. Or so it may seem. Because in the very next verse, in Genesis 39-2, it says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And now we, have to, we need a hard stop here. Because this, this statement, this verse, this is problematic. It's problematic for many versions of our faith. It's problematic for many versions of the Christian faith. Okay? And, and, and the reason, okay, it is, it is problematic, you'll see, okay? Many of you, or some of you out there, may have left faith because of this. You may have been done with faith because of this, because you could not reconcile the idea of a good God with pain and suffering in the world, or pain and suffering in your family, or pain and suffering in your world, right? Because this is how we think. If the Lord was with Joseph, his brothers wouldn't have betrayed him. If the Lord was with Joseph, he wouldn't have been sold into slavery, right? The general idea is that we think in our mind that when God is with you, things work out for you. When God is with you, things work out for you. But I have news for you this morning. If you were raised in that tradition, if that's the general idea in your mind, Christians throughout history have never believed that. They have never believed that. And if you walked away from faith, if you left faith because you couldn't reconcile the idea, right, of, of bad things happening to good people, I have some good news for you. You didn't give up on God, right? You gave up on a God that does not exist. That is not the God of the Christian scriptures. That is not the God of the Bible. Time and time again in scripture, we see stories of men and women who faced extreme adversity and realized that God was with them. Now, back to our story. So the Lord is with Joseph, okay? But luck is not with Joseph, okay? Prosperity is not with Joseph, all right, Judge, justice is definitely not with Joseph, but Joseph is choosing to respond to his circumstances as if God is with him. We continue in Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. 
Don't read too much into that. He did not prosper personally. We'll, we'll, we'll see what that's about. And then it says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, so, so Potiphar, his master, notices that everything Joseph touches, everything he does, it turns to gold, right? And the reason that everything is, is going well with what Joseph touches because he's choosing to respond to the situation not as someone who's been sold into slavery, but he's responding as someone who God is with. And Potiphar takes notice. And it says, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Sounds good, right? It's going well for Joseph. He's in charge of everything that Potiphar owns. But here's what you need to realize. This was not a good situation because in ancient times, and I, I would even argue in our times, okay, being born free, being born free in ancient times, that was the greatest privilege you could possibly have. And Right? To, to, to be wealthy, maybe to be born into wealth and then to become poor, like that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But to have been born free, to have been born with your freedom and then wake up one day a slave, to wake up as someone else's property, in ancient times that was the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you. You lost you lost at life, and whatever God you served, whatever God you chose, that God did not like you very much. You chose poorly. You chose the wrong God. That's how people saw Joseph's situation. And that says this, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Did you catch that? The Lord didn't bless Joseph because of everything he was doing. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptians because of Joseph. Where is the justice in that? I know some of you can relate to that one, right? Some of you go to work every day, you work for an employer, a company, a boss, and you put your best foot forward, and you do everything right, and who gets the credit? You don't get the credit, your boss gets the credit, right? right? It's hard to operate in that situation. But, despite all of that, Joseph chooses to respond as if God is with him, as if everything he's doing, he's doing for God. And this is this is a truly amazing response. It's amazing. And here's why it's amazing. So Joseph, unlike us, he doesn't have um, any scripture. He has no scripture. He doesn't have the Bible. He doesn't have the Torah. In fact, he doesn't have any religious literature whatsoever. Nothing. None of it. And, you know, if we're going to talk about, about Bible times and ancient times and, and some of the other people in the faith, he also, he doesn't get any miracles, right? There's no burning bush, no partner sees. There's no nothing for Joseph. There's no angels. No angels come down from heaven and meet him and have dinner with him. It's like, hey, Joseph, you know, we know you're going through a rough time, but hang in there like God's got you. You can do it. He gets none of that. He has none of the advantages that we have or none of the advantages that any other person in history had when it comes to enduring faith. He has none of that. But Joseph chooses to hang on to the stories of this God, the stories of God that he heard from his father, 
and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Joseph chooses to believe that God is with him. And this is the question. This is the question I want each and every one of you to wrestle with this morning and the rest of this week, okay? How would someone in your circumstances, think about your particular circumstances, whatever that is, right? And when I say circumstances, that could be, it could be the pandemic, it could be a financial situation, a family situation, some sort of relationship, a job, whatever it is. How would someone in your particular set of circumstances respond if they believed that God was with them? I want you to ask yourself this morning, how is someone who is you, right? How is someone who's you respond if you believed that your decisions, your responses, the way you responded hinged upon what God was going to do in your life and the life of others? How would you respond? Because you have no idea what hangs in the balance of responding to circumstances that you did not choose for yourself. Now, if you're familiar with the story, if you're familiar with the story, nothing gets better for Joseph from here on out. Nothing gets better. In fact, it gets catastrophically worse for him. And as we're going to see, Joseph is put in a situation where he has to make a decision, and it doesn't matter what that decision is, he is going to be in a bad place because of it. Many of you can relate to that. Have you ever been faced with a decision and you look at it, it's like, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. What do I do? This is the situation that Joseph is going to find himself in. And in Genesis 39, verses 6 through 7 says this. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And this is where the, right, the, the slow music comes in here, right? Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, here's what you have to understand about this part of the story. This wasn't a seduction, right? This wasn't Potiphar's wife, like, taking an interest in Joseph and being nice to Joseph and trying to win him over. This was a command. This was a order because, as we said, Joseph belonged to the household of the Egyptians, and by extension, he belonged to Potiphar's wife, and she was commanding him, come to bed with me. And now Joseph is faced with a choice, right? If he refuses, he refuses that command, he will be punished. And if he gives in and he says yes, and his master finds out, he will be punished. This is a no-win situation for Joseph. No win. And perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've been there in your life when faced with a decision, right? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And Joseph probably feels like us when we're put in that situation, right? When we do everything we know that's right. We do everything we know that's right in the situation, but still things fall apart around us. Still people don't respond to us kindly. Still things come down, and we throw up our hands, and we say, why even bother? What is the point? Who cares? But Joseph, he doesn't do this, even though the potential for a good ending is gone. Even though he probably is not going to wind up better for any of this. In fact, he'll probably wind up dead for it. 
But Joseph responds, and he refuses. And in uh, chapter 39, verses 8 through 10, it says, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has held with nothing from me except you because, by the way, you're his wife. And then the kicker. Then the kicker of his statement he ends with. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Really, Joseph? Really? That's what you're concerned about? Sinning against God? Sinning against this God who, who allowed you to be betrayed by your brothers? Sinning against this God who allowed you to be sold into slavery twice? Sinning against this God that, by the way, Joseph, hasn't done one good thing in your life lately? That's who you're concerned with sinning against? Yeah. Yeah. And Potiphar's wife, she is relentless. She does not give up. She comes after Joseph, commanding, commanding, commanding. And it gets to the point, Joseph keeps refusing and refusing and refusing. And Joseph gets to the point where he's, he's not even going to be in the same room with her. He refuses to be in the same room with her. And eventually, eventually Potiphar's wife takes offense. And she is shamed. And then, then she chooses to accuse Joseph of the very thing that he refused to do. She accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. And Potiphar has no choice but to throw Joseph into prison. In verse, uh, chapter 39, verses 19 and 20, it says, when his master heard the story of his wife to, and told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, I know some of you have some serious circumstances in your life. I mean, I know in a church this big, there's a lot of people going through a lot of different difficulty. I know some of those stories. I don't know all of those stories, okay? But let's, let's look at what Joseph is going through here and understand what he's going through, okay? Joseph is going to be punished for a crime because he tried to avoid it. He is going to be punished for the very thing that he refused to do. He refused to do it. So now, Joseph can update his resume, right? Joseph, son of Jacob, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery twice, framed, imprisoned. The point being here, that bad things have happened to good people for a very, very long time. Even people that God is with. Now next week, we're going to pick up this story. We're going to pick up the story next week, right where we left off through these, these tough circumstances, right? Um, but we need, to, we need to continue to ask ourselves that question, right? How would someone who is in my particular set of circumstances respond if they believed that God was with them? And that could be a tough question. It could be a terrifying question. But, but if you engage with that question, if you engage with that question, you'll find, if you respond 
as if, as if God is with you, as, a, as opposed to just reacting to your circumstances, as, a chose to, as opposed to reacting just been what's been modeled for you, what's been expected of you, your life will change. And let me tell you, tell you this, okay, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're, you're a follower of Christ this morning, okay, if you're in it right now and if you're going through it, right, you're just, you're in the thick of it right now, let me tell you this, God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. God is with you. And let me, let me say something else, okay, right, God, God does bless us, right, there is blessing. Right? I'm not saying God doesn't bless us. I'm not saying it's all hardship and struggle. There, there are times when God brings things into our life and blesses, blesses us. But here's the thing with that. I am not impressed. I am not impressed if, if, if someone is walking with God and they are content when everything is going right for them. Right? That's easy. That's easy stuff. When, when the career's on the rise, the money's coming in, family's doing well, the health is good, the dog brings you your slippers every morning, right? Whatever it is, when things are going well, that's easy. Not impressive. Show me someone who's going through it. Show me someone who is in the midst of struggle and their faith is not wavered. They still believe that God is with them. There is so much power in that response. A response like that can change people's hearts. People take notice. When you respond unnaturally to, to terrible and horrible things, when you respond as if God is with you. So again, ask yourself this week, how would someone in your situation, how is someone who is you, how would you respond to your circumstances if you believed that God was with you? If you believed that what God was doing hinges on your response to those circumstances, okay? And even though I don't know your particular circumstances, I might not know what you're going through, I do know this. A faith-filled, measured response to your circumstances, that is your best play. It is your best play in any situation. It is your best way forward in any given situation, in any form of adversity that you may face. And here's the thing. Your circumstances, what you're going through right now, that's not your whole story. It's one part. It's one chapter of a bigger story that God is telling through your life. It is not everything. It's not your story. Your story has not been finished being written yet. Amen? Amen. And we're going to see next week when we pick it up that is not the end of Joseph's story either. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for today, God. Thank you that, Lord, thank you, first of all, that we have the privilege of freedom, Lord, that we have the privilege to meet and gather and hear your word, Lord, and, and hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning, Lord. I pray for each and every person here that they would wrestle with that question that we posed this morning. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that you would teach us how to struggle well, 
Because, God, we know that sometimes the struggle is the point, Lord. Lord, help us to believe deep in our hearts that no matter what we're going through, that if we believe in you, you have not abandoned us. You are with us, God. Thankful that you, thankful to you, Lord, that you are so faithful to us, even when it looks like you're not there, God. Help us to believe that this morning and this week ahead. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.